This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental I don't know, know, planes man. that they're building? Police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm super annoyed at my life and mechanics muffler (laughs) yeah i can imagine yet again i think i had car troubles last episode uh you got an entirely different set of car troubles i think on your side well they're not troubles they're legal obligations i just had to get (laughs) the old piece of shit registered and i did that yesterday yeah i I should have done it yesterday i did it yesterday i i didn't need to get like the oil change or anything i just did like the registration literally took fucking five minutes i thought there was something wrong because the guy like pulled out of the garage and like came back in i was like oh fuck what's going on he's like all right you're all set i was like really but Hmm. well they he's like yeah because they don't do a safety anymore yeah so he's like yeah i just hook it up to this Uh, i just hook it up to this thing run it get the numbers and then that's it like yeah they used to still like go through the motions of the safety inspection and it would advise you on stuff but now they're just like i'm not wasting my time because you're not gonna pay for any of the repairs i'm gonna tell you to make so yeah (laughs) yeah exactly yeah 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 well it's the same i took my so well yeah again my tires right i talked about that well i flew out to coeur uh for the week so i had to get them done monday because i didn't have time last week well, $500 later, cabin filter, uh, engine filter, oil change I forgot about. Yeah, well, there you go. I'm good now, but, you know, well, you it's know, a if thing. If you don't do that, you're going to fuck your shit up. So, uh, yeah, no, it is what Just it is. don't buy a car in November like I did because this is the worst fucking time of year to get your shit registered if it's an old hoopty that may or may not need <laughs> work that you're too cheap. To- I bought my car in November and my tabs are due in December. So it's kind of the same story. I think for the most and part, dropping money on the yearly or the periodic maintenance that comes with registering my car really ruins Christmas. Yeah. Really big bah humbug really puts a fucking candor in it. Doesn't it? Anyway, well, speaking of Christmas, so the holidays are upon us. Um, you know, this actually will drop after Thanksgiving, but, uh, just you guys, I wish you happy holidays for whatever you're doing. Um, you know, obviously COVID's just, you know, everything's got to adjust and we just got to make do. So, you know, be safe, I guess is all I talk to you guys. And then of course the listeners out there, the same thing. Um, I do want to cover one thing and that leads us into something else. So I mentioned it when we were uh, yinting back and forth uh, last week. Uh, I saw a movie that came out on Prime Amazon and it was with David Cross and I love David Cross. He's a fantastic comedian. He's been in a couple movies like Men in Black, things like that. But he actually stars in a new movie called The Dark Divide. Uh, You guys haven't had a chance to see that, have you? Nope. Nope. Okay. Well, The Dark Divide actually is based off a book uh, by a one Robert Michael Pyle, and it and his book actually is called Crossing the Dark Divide, where Bigfoot walks. And so I watched a movie. Movie was fantastic. 
It was heartfelt. I cried at places and times. Uh, and then, so I ordered the book and I have the book sitting in front of me. And lo and behold, like two or three days later, I get a re- an email back from um, this this person that we're working with in, in regards to lining people up. And we have three Bigfoot enthusiasts. And I would say not even – I wouldn't say enthusiasts. These are researchers. And they've been doing it for quite some time. And we have them lined up on the show here coming up. And I can't wait, guys. I can't wait to have them on because it's really, really looking forward to what they have to say. Um, and we all got together today and actually watched one of the documentaries. And and I don't know. What's your feedback? It was super interesting. Yeah, there was a lot of information that I didn't um, realize or know about, you know, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever, um, as far as all the different regions that have them kind of the different types, like all the different yeah. uh, footprints they found, like, like the Yeti has a specific footprint. The Sasquatch has a specific footprint, like this other one over here that's associated with, but you know, like there's just like, there's not just Bigfoot or something like they're all kind of like, it's a different. crazy different world, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, and there's actually types like, for example, the dev, that is in Iran, Iraq area. I, I never in all my, you know, we deal with this every day and we talk about cryptids and stuff like that. I've never heard of that type. So, no. you know, this is something that, you know, we got, <laughs> they reached out and they wanted to come on and um, uh, thank you, Michelle, by the way, number one, she's kind of their, their scout agent and uh, we're about to have them on. There's three of them. Do you have any follow-ups <laughs> or do we want to roll into it? I think let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. So we are going to talk Bigfoot talk. Open the gates. I took a bite out of mountain range. Thought my teeth would break the mounded. Let's go, wanna go, all the way to the horizon. I took a drink out of the ocean and tread water there before a drown. Let's dive, I wanna dive to the bottom of the ocean. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so we have the pleasure. You know, we cover a little bit of everything on the show. Uh, last episode, of course, we, we had uh, Nathaniel, who is a demonologist, and we decided to go the other route and go and talk about cryptids. But more importantly, we really want to dedicate this one to one of the most famous cryptids, which, of course, if you all can venture to guess, it is Bigfoot. Um, this is going to be a Bigfoot party. We actually have a packed house today, uh, and we actually have three members who either one have spent most of their lives researching Bigfoot, um, are part of projects, or actually part of books or part of documentaries. And I'm just going to introduce each three of you and have you basically go around and kind of explain. And, and David, we can start with you. I want to introduce David Ellis, first of all, and kind of have you give a brief rundown about uh, your experiences and kind of what got you into what's going on. Well, thank you, Shane. Um, It started when I was quite young. I'm uh, 68 years old now. And uh, when I was about five or six years old, my grandfather uh, talked about uh, cutting the hay at a farm out near Battleground, Washington, 80-acre farm. And he was cutting the hay and up popped what he said was a five-foot-tall monkey. It ran on two legs across the hay field and hopped the fence and into the woods. So since I've been about five years old, I've uh, had this notion that there were monkeys in the woods. Hmm. So um, about uh, when I was 11 years old, so maybe five or six years later, I had my own experience. Um, A group of us were in a 
large uh, cow pasture, was about 40-acre cow pasture, but it had once been a, um, a forest, and it was logged, but they used the old spring and board uh, buckboard method of cutting the, the trees down, so they had these uh, 12 to 15-foot-tall edifices in this cow pasture, and it was just a great place for us to go, and we were walking from one fence line to the other, and when we got about 10 yards or 30 feet from the fence line, uh, one of the kids grabbed a stick and started hitting uh, branches of the overhanging trees. And all of a sudden, I noticed 18-inch, um, maybe 12-inch uh, in diameter, all the trees started swaying like toothpicks. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's odd. What in the heck is going on now? Because there wasn't a breath of wind or air or whatever. It was calm, except for the trees. <laughs> and um, I noticed that not only were the trees swaying, but limbs were being ripped off. And it, the, the brush was so thick on the other side of the fence, I couldn't see what was doing it. But um, that uh, also alarmed me. And then it, whatever it was, um, cut loose with a scream that was about 12 seconds long that I later described to my um, parents as a, a cross between an elephant roar, an elephant trumpeting and a lion roaring. Hmm. So it was two sounds melded into one, but it lasted for about 12 seconds and it knocked everybody to the ground. And when it stopped, all I could think of was run, <laughs> which I which I did. I ran back home. So that was an interesting story. But where it ties in with Bigfoot is that the following week, um, our librarian uh, would have classes in the in the library, and she would ask us, um, you know, like what happened over the weekend. Does anybody have a story? Because she wanted to find out what interested us so she could steer us to books to read. And up shot my arm like a rocket, and I retold the story I just told you. And um, she said, well, thank you very much. And I sat back down. And then about 30 minutes later into the class, I felt a tap on my shoulder, and it's the librarian. And she pulled me aside in, uh, to, into a, a back room, and she started grilling me about what happened. And, um, you know, did I get a chance to see it? And how loud was it? Uh, did it? Could it have been a cougar? Could it have been, you know, this and that? Well, I'd been to the Portland Zoo, and I knew what a lion sounded like, and I knew what an elephant sounded like. So when I said that they sounded like those two creatures in one, I, you know, I had a basis for that. It wasn't just kind of a made-up thing. But anyway, she, she realized that something serious happened to me. But she said, you know, I have a book I think you might be interested in reading. And it turned out to be Ivan T. Sanderson's oh. Abominable Snowman Legend Come to Life. He wrote that, wrote that in 1961, and my incident occurred in 63. So there was a two-year lag period. But it was just interesting that the librarian kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together and said, you know, maybe you might want to think about this. <laughs> That's, that's so amazing. that's kind of what got me uh, started in the whole thing. Um, I think the uh, internet 
is what uh, really was the next thing. You know, I was watching um, uh, the Monster Quest produced by Doug Hycheck and Autumn Williams, and uh, they were going out and uh, doing all sorts of interesting things to try to maybe uh, capture some evidence. And that just fascinated me. And by 2005, I was interested enough that I went to a conference where I met some people, which turned into me going out. And uh, from there, I learned how to uh, do track casting and to do audio recording. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Right. Outstanding. Yeah. And actually, so that's amazing on your side. And again, we're going to go roundhousing with everybody and just do the, the initial thought pattern of what got you into it. But the audio person on your side, David, is very interesting. I think that kind of fascinates me more than most of what it is. Um, next up, we actually have Darcy Ware. Um, and Darcy, you actually have a brand new documentary that just came out that, that John, Josh, and I all watched. Um, we found it on Amazon Prime. Uh, very interesting, very well put together. Um, Darcy Ware, welcome to Strange Uncles. Hey, Shane. Thanks for having me. Uh, where to start? I guess you want me to f- sort of explain how I got into this. Um, I actually have always kind of had a, an open mind towards the unknown or to the unexplained. Um, I, I started producing documentaries some years ago on UFO-related subjects, um, and I did one. My very premiere film was on Phil Schneider and uh, military industrial complex and sort of like the underground base theories and such. And um, yeah, I'm very independent, but uh, I like to follow these stories that are kind of on the fringe. And um, if I can find truth in them, I will follow them. You know, I will go deep into the story to find what truth may be unveiled. Um, Back in 2015 is really where this journey began for me investigating, you know, the history of Bigfoot or Sasquatch or Wildman in in, in another name to explain these cryptids. Um, Now, the newest film uh, is Sasquatch Among Wild Men, and uh, Wild Man is another name for a relic hominid or another cryptid that seems to be very closely linked to Sasquatch and Bigfoot. Um, that's the Yaren of China. So if you look up the name Yaren, uh, it directly translates to Wild Men. Or wild man. Hmm. Okay. Um, and I started making a documentary back in 2015 uh, on Sasquatch. I, I interviewed Dr. Meldrum in his lab out in uh, Pocadillo, Idaho, uh, at the Idaho State University that he teaches in. Uh, while whilst I was there, I was you know getting my head completely brainwashed with Sasquatch and Bigfoot facts. As one Uh, does. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I saw a pamphlet on his desk and I was like, what's this? Uh, And it was a field guide for 
uh, relic hominids, um, you know, uh, wild men, so to speak, other known uh, or spoken of uh, creatures that have been told throughout the world to exist by many different cultures. And so I spoke of the Yeren earlier. Uh, in that, it also talked about the uh, Caucasian white, the Dev, uh, the Yeti uh, in its various forms. You know, we know of the one in the Himalayas, which people have reported, uh, but that could be very different from uh, the word that the Russians use to describe their Yeti. Uh, because it seems to, uh, based on trace uh, evidence, things that are found at the the scene of the crime in Russia, to be different from what's found in in the Himalayas or had been found. Uh, so, I guess I, I digress here, but I I really got into this because of Dr. Meldrum and. Um, I'm sure you're going to ask me more questions about uh, where my studies have kind of uh, found synergy in in, in this storyline of Sasquatch, Bigfoot being related with all these relic hominids that we have in the fossil record. But uh, I'll just say that it, it started with Dr. Meldrum and... Um, a documentary that I, I started making back in 2015 called the unwanted Sasquatch. Yeah, no. And actually, yes, we are going to loop back to that. Um, I find some very, a couple points that you made in the documentary and just from your research, actually all three of you, your research, all, all of you actually have something to lend here, but yeah, we can loop back to that. I think last but not least, we want to welcome on uh, the third Bigfoot musketeer, if you will. And that actually is Shane Corson. And I believe Shane and David, you guys are both part of the Olympic project and uh, Shane Corson. Welcome to strange uncles. Hey, thanks for having me guys. It's a, a pleasure being here. Yeah. Uh, Shane Corson here. And yes, David and I are both, um, key components within the Olympic project. We have a lot of good members in the Olympic project and I'm very proud to, to work with such a group. But uh, my background a little bit, grew up in Scotland on a little tiny island called Isla off the West Coast, a very small island. And I was, uh, as a young lad, I was very interested in, in uh, paleontology. That was my first love. I love paleontology, everything dinosaurs. My, uh, my mom would get me books, on paleontology and dinosaurs, and um, she eventually slipped in one on cryptids, which included the, of course, the what Scotland's famous for is the Loch Ness monster. And I very, I became very heavily interested in cryptids and the Loch Ness monster. Grew up reading just about every book on cryptids, but I really fell in love. I, even in Scotland, I fell in love with Sasquatch or Bigfoot, or the say the the Yeti, the abominable snowman. And um, fortunately, I had a chance to move to Scotland in 93 where I kind of uh, kept up my, uh, my interest reading books and watching TV programs. I've probably seen them all read just about every book out there. And, um, at age of 13, when I moved to 93, um, yeah, I was keenly interested in it. Now, fast forward to 97 when I could get some, uh, wheels of my own and start venturing out. I started investigating areas, uh, historical reports down in San Diego, down in, San Bernardino, I went to Alpine and, and did some research on the uh, Zubies, 
uh, down there, if anybody's familiar with that. And I also did a lot of research in the Cuyamac area. And, uh, you know, I love the, I always loved the camp and hike. And so I, I eventually made it up to Yosemite. And I really made that, that's about 11 hour, 12 hour drive for me. But every chance I could uh, get, I was up there. And I thought, man, if there's Sasquatch out there, they have to be here. I would hike up Half Dome and, and all these different trails and camp and never really found anything of interest. I talked to a one female ranger that had something thrown at her, a large rock by something large. And uh, I, over the years um, through 2008, that was my MO. I'd go up to Yosemite. I'd do Southern California. I'd do the Sierras. I'd go out these areas and camp and hike and explore. And honestly, I never found anything of interest other than witnesses. A lot of witnesses I, I met over the years. And um, eventually I met my wife. In uh, 2006, we moved up to Oregon, which was a highlight for me because I thought, okay, I've done a lot of research in, in uh, Cali. I need to need venture out, and I love Oregon. So uh, my wife's from Oregon, moved up to Oregon, started doing a little research up here, venturing out to different places, the Tillamook Coast, uh, different places around Oregon. And then, um, and, and once again, never really found anything of interest. You know, maybe maybe an impression here, maybe – and I thought I was really doing good research. Um, now, fast forward again, 2011, August of 2011, um, I ventured up to Mount Hood with two coworkers and uh, just for a, back, a remote backpacking, camping trip, fishing trip. We're all passionate about that. And um, not, not anything Bigfoot related. Uh, my buddies were, I had a guy from Boston with me, coworker. First time really out camping, and my buddy Mitch, who's an Oregonian, he's done a lot of camping. He was kind of interested in Sasquatch, but it wasn't at the forefront of, of he's a fisherman by heart. So, um, yeah, um, we get up to this area. We make our camp at this lake. We go hiking. We end up getting lost. We hiked that day close to 17 miles off trail, ridgelines. Um, my buddy from Boston was deathly afraid of bears, was banging <laughs> pots around, literally banging pots around <laughs> And we told him to knock it off, but that plays a role, I think, into what I'm going to get into. So, um, yeah, we get lost. Eventually, we make it to this other lake that we were looking for, but by that time, it's starting to get dark, and we knew from there we could find the trail, and it's a couple-mile hike back to our camp. Well, we get back to camp. We set up, build a big fire, eat food. We chat for a while. Buddy Ian, like I said, he's afraid of bears, so he builds up this huge fire, and I said, you know, calm down, buddy. Don't want to, don't want to set the place on fire here. Even though it's the Pacific Northwest, you never know. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and it's August. Um, yeah, so that night around one uh, thirty-two in the morning, I hear this 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 sound. It sounds like two rocks being clacked together, and it's getting closer and closer. And all three of us have our own tents. We're kind of in a triangle uh, formations uh, with my buddy Mitch closest to the lake, me uh, myself being in the middle, and Ian being on the outskirts. And... Um, my buddy Mitch wakes up and goes, Hey, do you hear that? And I said, yeah. And he said, what is it? And I said, I don't know. Could it be elk, you know, uh, antler or something like that, but it's getting closer and closer and it stops. Ian to my right is completely out snoring still. And we start hearing movement in the woods and it sounds very bipedal. It's breaking sticks. It's smashing stuff. And we get a, a knock and I was like, wow, what the heck is going on? My heart's pounding in my chest. Mitch is quiet. Well, that was the extent of it really that night. We heard some movement and it was, it was around for, oh, five, 10 minutes. You know, it seemed like an eternity. And then you hear that 
that rock sound again, but it's getting further away. Like it's leaving and that's it. So next morning we get up, we kind of talk about it. What could have been Ian's didn't hear anything. So he didn't know, uh, Mitch and I were kind of talking about it, but we were on a fishing trip the whole day. I'm thinking about it, but you know, I'm trying to rationalize what could have been, you know, this is not an area people are in trying to rationalize it, but we go out and find a couple other lakes out there. There's about five other lakes in this area. We do well, we catch our fish and we come back to camp. We do the same thing, build a big fire. We um, kind of chat around the fire and make a meal and go to bed. Once again, about 11, 1130. Well, 1.32 in the morning, you hear that, hmm. that noise again. Hmm. And it's getting closer and closer. And my buddy Mitch wakes up and he goes, Shane, you awake? And I said, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and he goes, it's back. I said, yeah, whatever it is, it's back. Well, things escalated. So it, it comes up, whatever this thing was, which I know now what it is, but it's, it's moving and it's, it's smashing branches, but it's way more fierce this night. Things are breaking, stuff's cracking. I couldn't tell if this thing was walking around, hitting branches off of trees or stepping on them. It might've been both. Um, Mitch is saying, I hear something to the left and I'm telling him I hear something to the right. Something, man, is there two of whatever the heck this is? And a bunch of breaking, walking around, and then silence. And then wham, wham, five times the most tremendous power knocks, um, as I've come to call them, uh, on a tree, so tremendous that you could feel them in your tent. Now, my buddy Ian woke up. He's awake now. He's not snoring. He's awake. He goes, you know, what the is that? I would, I would imagine he would be, right? Yeah, you could literally feel him in your tent. It was close and it was powerful. And you could hear the echo because it was a quiet, windless night. And we're all awake by now. And now my heart's jumping through my skull. Just, and five of those and then silence again. And you hear something coming through the trees up high. You hear this hitting the branches up high coming through from this hill. We were kind of camped at a lower L, uh, spot and there's a little bit of a hill around us with lots of pines around us. I mean, very thick forest and it's coming through the trees and it, you hear this thud next to my, my buddy Mitch's tent. He's close to the lake and there's a little bit of mud patch there. And I instantly knew what it was. He knew what it was. And he said, something just threw a rock at us. I went, <laughs> okay. And, and so at this point, I'm pretty sure having read a lot of stink reports over the years, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what we're dealing with. Never smelt anything. Um, didn't hear any vocals, maybe because my heart was pounding and, and my eardrums were just exploding, but uh, didn't hear anything. After that, um, my buddy Ian, he's freaking out. And I did something stupid. Um, I Beforehand, because he was so afraid of bears, I gave him a, a, like a nine millimeter. I gave him a handgun, uh, which was, you know, in hindsight, very <laughs> stupid. I knew. Um, Nobody judge. Him. We're not judging you here, Shane, whatsoever. Oh, it, it was stupid. But and the reason being is I thought he was going to come out of that tent and start blasting. He was freaking out. And he said, shut up, shut up, calm down, just calm down. And I'm trying to. I mean, there was one point where I'm in my tent, and I'm literally paralyzed, paralyzed with fear, not uh, anything uh, paranormal weird. I was paralyzed, and I had to calmly walk myself out of this, saying, nothing's happened to you. You have three people here. You do have weapons. Calm down. And so I told him, shut up. I'll, I'll come over there. So I'm unzipping my tent, and I'm not hearing anything from Mitch to the left of me. I unzip my tent, and I'm looking around. I don't see anything. The fire's still going because Ian... <laughs> Ian built this huge fire and out of the corner of my eye, I see some movement uh, probably 40 feet away behind a tree. And as I look up to see what the heck's moving over there, I see this arm on the front side of the tree 
it, that wraps around up to a shoulder, and I see this head popping in and out up behind this tree, swaying back and forth, swaying back and forth behind this tree, and it, w- it was huge. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Hmm. And I watched this thing for mere seconds. I don't know if it saw me, if it heard the zipper um, uh, unzip, but it, it just peeled around and went back up the trail, and it was gone. That was it. And so I wow. um, zipped my tent back up. Ian was quiet. Mitch was quiet. And I laid there and it was one of those things where nobody said anything. I think we were just waiting to see what happened next. Nothing happened. We collectively, as soon as daylight hit, we packed up our camp and got the heck out of there. <laughs> so kind of a long story, but um, that's what really solidified the existence of Sasquatch for me. So I started going, you know, after about a month, I got, um, I got the uh, courage to go back out there. I took uh, another friend out there and um, a BFRO investigator who's good friends with Cliff Berrickman. Will Robinson out there and we, you know, recorded some odd knocks in that area, but didn't have anything happen. I started going out there solo and with any friend that would go out there and never really had anything happen again. That was it. And I was thinking the whole time, oh, I know where these things are at. I can prove it. This and that never happened. Um, eventually that led me to uh, reaching out to other people. I knew at that time I had to, um, I couldn't do this myself. This is not a solo game. This is a, a group effort. And I met it with Derek Randall's, oh, probably seven months later. I, I met Cliff Berrickman for the first time and uh, was collaborating with him a little bit and um, went to a Hopsquatch, Guy Edwards Hopsquatch event down in Portland and met Derek Randall's. Mm-hmm. I went on one of Derek Randall's um, uh, public expeditions with the Olympic Project. And the rest is history. I became, uh, shortly thereafter, Derek asked me to join the Olympic Project. And it's been full steam ahead. That, that's, you know what? I find it funny when we hear stories of, of people, you know, I mean, it affects everybody differently. I, I just got done reading a book called uh, Beyond the Fray um, that, that's strictly, you know, it's all about Bigfoot stories and, and just, and really basic people, whether they be hunters or, you know, hikers that, that just find themselves in that situation. Uh, well, you know, for everything, David, Darcy, Shane, welcome to Strange Uncle. Thank you so much for your covering of that. Um, we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I want to get kind of into the meat and bones of, I guess, the scientific side of, of um, what Bigfoot may be, Sasquatch may be, and then we can go from there. So everybody stand by. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality. Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we're back. Um, so first of all, again, thank you, everybody, for the introductions. It always fascinates me about what really – and it doesn't necessarily have to be about Bigfoot. It's any experience, and you find the experiences you have really make or break who you are, um, and especially in this this realm and this spectrum, you know, it's, it's just the same. Um, Darcy, I want to kind of loop back with you, if you don't mind. And then, of course, you know, David, Shane, feel free to follow up with your thoughts on it. Um, going back to your research, going back to your documentary a bit, uh, you know, we talk about, we talk about Bigfoot, we talk about Sasquatch, Yeti, you know, all these different, uh, you know, things around, obviously this is something, right? Because we've seen this worldwide 
Different cultures have reported it. Different cultures have had it in their traditions. Uh, Indian cultures, North American Indian cultures, like this is a thing. So when you talk about Bigfoot in general as a, as a species and then you tie all these other things into it and all these other reports across the country and across the world, sorry, um, what you have a theory on that, how you tie all that together. You want to kind of uh, talk about that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in the absence of Dr. Meldrum, the great Dr. Meldrum, I'll do my absolute best to talk about this <laughs> uh, the most scientific sounding way I can as a filmmaker. Make, so, don't make it too scientific because we're pretty layman around here. So yeah, no, make sure. I'll, I'll make it clear. All right. So to, to tell the story of wild men, you know, relic hominids in other words uh, or name, we need to take a look at tales of relic hominids in history from multiple cultures around the world. So we also need to look back at the fossil record for clues of what people are, are having these encounters with and seeing. Um, so for example, Dr. Meldrum outlined in one of our other interviews we've done recently uh, for the film that, you know, we found fossils of Homo florensis. And I don't know if you know what this this is, but, uh, you know, another nickname for it is the Hobbit or the Little People. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, remains for Homo florensis were found in 2004, uh, quite recently, that dated only 20,000 years back from where we are now. Uh, and those were found in Indonesia. So they're in, in Asia. Um, now, if you think of Homo sapiens, we are actually a hominid. We're, we're an ape-like being, right? And we only started showing up uh, 250,000 years ago is pretty much the most commonly held theory there. Um, and in different variations, you know, those variations still exist, you sprinkle in a little bit of Neanderthal gene here, possibly some Denosovan there, and add some local adaptations like Caucasian eye folds, uh, shades of skin, um, and it's it's all inside of us. Our bodies are signs of ancient modern humans. Okay, we like the guys on this podcast are all modern humans. Um, but well. even if you, you look at, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe not <laughs> Shane Corson over here, but, uh, you know what I'm saying? And, um, homo sapiens, the first modern humans evolved, uh, from an early hominid predecessor, you know, and they say that that started happening around 200,000 to, uh, you know, going back to even 400,000 years uh, they've found recently. Now, Gigantopithecus blackie is a giant ape that stood uh, three meters tall. It inhabited the forests of Southeast Asia, uh, and it became extinct 300,000 years ago. That's what we say now, because we found teeth and uh, fragments of a skull. In my first documentary, we show that skull in... Um, Dr. Meldrum's lab, they did a reconstruction from jaw, uh, and it looks like, you know, two times the size of a gorilla skull. Mm, Okay. Um, And, 
you know, that's 300,000 years ago. So 300,000 years ago, just to put it into perspective for you, 400,000 years ago, there was us bumping into them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because we existed at the same time. And we have remains from Homo florensis that existed only 20,000 years ago, meaning we were bumping into them 20,000 years ago. Okay. Okay. And if we go down the line here, we've got Neanderthal. Neanderthal was said to exist up to about 40,000 years ago. So we were bumping into apparently sexually as well 40,000 years ago. And there's signs in our genes. The red hair gene apparently comes from Neanderthal. Uh, There's been studies recently with COVID-19 saying those that have a uh, Neanderthal gene in them are said to be more greatly affected by the virus. Um, And then there's, um, you know, Australopithecus, which is a ape-like man that uh, supposedly died out 2 million years ago. So that's going way back. Okay. But everything in between has at one point lived on this planet and has mingled. That means Australopithecus would walk around bumping into yada, yada, yada. And, yada, you know, there's... I show a, a diagram in, in the film and it's, I mean, if I count it off, it's around like 30 different um, related hominids, you know, and we're at the top, right? just above Homo florensis and Neanderthalus and uh, Homo heidelbergensis, right? Uh, or Homo antecessor. Those are the very cream of the crop at the top. And you don't have to go too far down. As soon as you hit Neanderthal, the skulls start getting pretty friggin' huge, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, about double or triple the size of ours. So my question is in the documentary, and I think Dr. Meldrum's point is, um, I mean, I can't say for sure, but I've heard him say this in other words throughout my time studying this and talking with him about this, uh, that are we wrong to say that we're still not mingling with these ancient hominids? Okay. Okay. I'm to with a you. Point, yeah. To a point that they are scarce in number and living on the fringe further into the wilderness than we would normally go. You know, it's not every day that a Russian likes to hike into the deepest temperate forest of Russia. You know, some of them do. And some have had Russians with their Yeti or their Almasty. And by all counts, the description of an Almasty, uh, which we can say the Neanderthal existed throughout Eastern Europe into Russia. Um, there's no, reason why we can't say possibly some of them have met a Neanderthaloid. They have met a, a uh, relic hominid that still exists in D 
deep wilderness in Russia. Homo florensis, which apparently died 20,000 years ago, the, the most recent fossils that we found, um, it inhabited the island uh, area of Indonesia and possibly further out in, in that tropical region. Mm-hmm. And there are people that say even today that they see the, um, uh, it's escaping me, what is the name? The Oran, Orang Pendek, okay? Oh, right, yeah. Which, yeah, that was in your documentary. Yeah, we didn't really go too deep into the Oran, Orang Pendek because I was trying to keep it more related to Sasquatch and um, what has been found in Asia, which is the Yaren I spoke about earlier. Right, right. And the Yaren has been told of to exist for thousands, if not uh, longer than that in, in the history of the Chinese culture. So, you know, there's stories dating back um, 3,000 years BC, or no, 3,000 years. Um, there was a chronicle of a, a warring states period in China between 476 to 221 BC. And uh, this t- told of a tale of how a captured wild man, a, a Yaren, was presented as a gift to the king of the Eastern Chow dynasty several centuries earlier. And then, you know, let's fast forward from there. We have in my documentary and in the historical record, many, many, many accounts in the Shenanjia National Rainforest of China of people bumping into and interacting with the Yaren, which is a wild man. It looks, by all accounts, like a Sasquatch. It stands anywhere between seven to eight feet tall. Uh, it's covered head to toe with thick fur, um, hair, um, like, a, like a human. Apparently, uh, their hair uh, lacks medulla, which, uh, you know, was news to me before I investigated this in in the documentary that humans lack a medulla too. Um, oh, I did not know. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Uh, thanks, Shane. Shane Corson, that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, And so, basically, we've got tales of these things existing in our history, and we know we've bumped into them uh, because we know that we have shared in years the same existence on these continents mm-hmm. on the earth. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that we aren't still bumping into a version of them still today that has existed alongside us since the beginning. And, right. um, and basically that's the thesis of the documentary. Uh, I didn't go into it, this deep, obviously, uh, I didn't <laughs> outline it this way, but I'm on your podcast and I'm trying to do it some service. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely, you know, that's fine. Um, well, and then that's all fantastic, and th- and that's a great way to line it out. And I think a lot of people who, you know, the the layman, let's say, you know, that just does the, you know, the basic cryptid research and they have to stumble on Bigfoot. I, that's a that's a great exclamation. Um, I will call. So if you guys don't mind, we want to kind of, I guess, call the elephants out of the room a bit. Okay, one thing that we try to do is, you know. 
I've seen things in my life I can't explain, whether it be cryptids, whether it be spirits, whether it be – and I've seen them. I can't explain them. We we know that they're there. We really don't have a reason behind why, and that's half the fun of this whole spectrum, right? Because we are still exploring. This is a new science, and no matter what anybody says, this truly is a science. So when you look at the Bigfoot premise, and we'll just use that terminology because it's really blanket slate – I really am. I'm curious on on and either any of you can can opt into this because this is something that that comes up all the time when I have conversations with other people. Is number one, you know, evolution. Why have we've got to this point as a human race, as we know as hominids? When if there is something out there, how come they didn't? And then some of the just basic facts of you know we. We don't find skeletons in the woods. We don't find corpses. We don't find – like we don't have proof there other than sounds or footprints or hair that we can analyze. What, what, how, do you, how do you talk about that? How do you guys approach that side of it? That's the oh, biggest. Yeah, go sorry. ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Darcy. Go ahead. Oh, it's it's the biggest elephant in the room, right? Um, you know, every single researcher in this field will say mainstream scientific communities will not acknowledge this to exist unless you've got a, a cadaver sitting out on an open autopsy table so that we can examine, study, and compare it to us. Um, in my first documentary. Uh, the unwanted Sasquatch, there was actually a body that was found in hmm. the, the 1900s, uh, back in the late 1800s um, in northern British Columbia. Uh, there's a tale of a basically a Bigfoot, smaller size Bigfoot being caught uh, near Yale, British Columbia. And uh, Dr. Hannington was the man that examined the body. Um, he said, by all accounts, it seems like an ape, but it has human-like features, um, like its face seemed close to human, uh, but it was very ape-like. It was covered in hair. It said in, in parentheses in the news article, uh, fur. Um, when it snapped a stick, it didn't snap it by bending it in half like a human does. It was so strong it could just break it by twisting. Um, you know, if you think of a chimpanzee, they have that kind of strength. Um, and they caught the animal. Uh, it was concussed by a train after they lassoed it and pulled it off of a, a cliff. Uh, they put it on the train. They took it to Yale. Dr. Hanning Hannington examined its body. Um, and it was en route back to England, and that was the last time we ever heard of it. Um, but that news article, there was no reason to report something like that. And for, you know, uh, by all accounts, that to be related in history to what we would call a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot, you know, probably a uh, younger one that was found in North, North America. Um, people say that it probably died on the ship when it was heading over to uh, the UK and it was tossed overboard. Um, so that's why th they didn't want to keep it because of disease back then. People were scared to keep around dead 
uh, bodies, even of human beings. Um, but something, something tells me that there's a bit of a cover-up when it comes to this study. And I know you guys like to shy away from conspiracy, but... <laughs> Oh, we'll it, take it though. We'll we'll take well, it if you got we, one. We just like to shy away from the dangerous conspiracies. There's yes. nothing wrong with this. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I think we talked about evolution before, and evolution is a paradigm. It is a story that has been told, um, you know, since the time of Darwin and even a little bit before him, in in, in certain variations, and. It carries on today. We still have the missing link. We have the questions, why are chimpanzees not evolved? What we are, you know, and we're all existing. Um, I think evolution definitely exists. Um, Adaptation, like our skin variation to, you know, um, sub-Saharans, Africans, skin app adaptations um, and, and, you know, it goes on. Noses are different. Eyes are different. Uh, heights are different around the world. Uh, it, it, it's there, mm-hmm. but it, it's still, there's a lot of things missing to that recipe. And I think when you try to tell the mainstream scientific community that hasn't fully proven us being where we are at as homo sapiens to all the relic hominids that are in the historic record, like how we got from that to this. And then you say Sasquatch exists. Um, Right. For some reason, I feel like in, in my mind, there's a bit of paranoia about protecting that paradigm. And I feel like there could be uh, evidence out there that has been curtailed or kept from the public. And I can talk about that more mm. later. Um, other theories I have on that, but uh, yeah, yeah, we, we can, we can delve in that later. It, Shane, David, you had something else. I think you were going to, yeah, gonna I, I, uh, Shane here. I was going to mention, so I think, well, Darcy just mentioned something super important. I think adaptation plays a huge role. And we just look at known species, say like the chimpanzee, in Africa, you know, in certain countries, they have a lot of uh, warfare, guerrilla warfare, and it's it's usually during the daytime, right? Well, there's certain species of uh, chimpanzee out there that have learned to go nocturnal. You know, they cross roads and raid crops at night. They've gone nocturnal. Adaptation is a huge portion of why I think Sasquatch is, it has managed to survive. I don't think they're big in numbers. And, you know, if you look at, uh, for example, in 2017, uh, the Kapanuli orangutan was uh, revealed to the world to be real. It was uh, discovered. And the Western world scientists, they said, there's no way. Now, nah, there's not a new species of great ape. Well, yeah, there is. And guess what? The natives in these areas have been talking about it for a long time. Said, yeah, there's a, there's a, you know, this, this orangish reddish, you know, uh, primate out there. And it wasn't until 2013 when a skull was discovered that science actually started really looking into it. The skull that was different from other orangutans. And, you know, this species now consists of about, I mean, only about 800 individuals roughly. And they cover an area about 475 square miles in Sumatra. Uh, And there's just so many correlations with that when it comes to Sasquatch for me, for a number of things. Uh, One is the small population that's doing okay. Yeah. They're, they're still the most endangered primate, I believe in, in the world, uh, grade eight. 
I think Sasquatch is small in number. So when you're talking about finding bones or, or, or a body, um, you know, here in North America, I think the number is small with Sasquatch and it'd be finding a moving, moving needle in a haystack. It'd be so difficult. And how many people that go out to the woods are trained in, in identifying bones? Maybe Sasquatch bones have been found. I've taken groups out before. Yeah. Okay. And you find an elk bone and they're like, what the heck is that? That's a huge bone. Oh, that's a elk femur or an elk, you know, um, pelvis bone or something like that. You know, it's just, for me, it's that simple. No one's actually going out there looking for Sasquatch bones for the most part. I mean, you can talk about all the researchers you want, but a small number, relatively speaking, especially in these vast forests, especially up in Canada and the Pacific Northwest. I mean, there's 50 some odd planes missing here in the Pacific Northwest and they're stationary objects and nobody can find them. So good luck finding a Sasquatch bone. It, it's to me, that's a, a, a silly argument. Bones up here specifically disappear really quick. They just do. Bodies yeah. disappear really quick. And one of the first things I've noticed over the years to disappear on known animals uh, when I come across a carcass is the skull. I don't know why <laughs> animals carry the skull off. You'll find ribs and all that. But you, you know, very rarely do you find the skull. So, you know, I mean, I, I would imagine somebody came across a Sasquatch skull. It'd probably stick out like a sore thumb, but maybe not the other bones. So I think a lot of that's uh, pretty easily explainable as to why we don't find bodies, especially if they're small in number. And like a lot of animals, uh, when they go to die, they go to the deepest, darkest regions they can they can find to, to, to die in peace so they're not eaten alive or picked on. So, yeah, mm-hmm. just, just my two cents there. And um, there are still, I think, great discoveries to be made. But I'm sure David could uh, – he's probably got uh, some thoughts on this. Well, I do. Um, when – Somebody uh, throws in your face, well, where's the body? Um, it's like that's the closing argument. You, since there is no body, there is no Bigfoot. Without taking into account tens of thousands of eyewitness reports, how can there possibly be ten thousands or more eyewitness reports on something that doesn't exist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's interesting. So, I mean, it's all depends upon how you want to look at it. You know, the, most people will say, well, where's the evidence? Well, a lot of evidence is there. It's just not being looked at. That was one of the things that drove Dr. John Bindernagel um, uh, so frustrated. He wrote several books on science. Get off your duff and look at this stuff. It's right here. He, he actually says, we've proven Bigfoot exists, except for in the eyes of the scientists. Hmm. So, <laughs> Well said, um, well said. Yeah, so um, if, if you're if still a doubter, I would uh, point towards Dr. Jeff Meldrum and his um, scientific research paper on foot morphology. He has a, uh, a scientific process that he has gone through, and he shows that this particular foot that we have physical evidence for can only belong to one thing. And that one thing is a Sasquatch. And then if you want to know more information about um, the Patterson Gimlin film, look up Bill Munns. As a matter of fact, you gentlemen should have Bill Munns as a guest on your program. Heard that name before. Yeah. He is, he is case closed on whether Patty is real or not. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, and, and and that's the thing. We've heard that argument forever. You know, is it a hoax? Was it proven? Was it not? And and again, this is something where you know, I mean, there's there's skeptics out there. So so I think all three of your answers is a very very well built foundation to disprove that. You know, for yeah. people that just they just don't know. And so well done, gentlemen. You know, and, and all you. all assets. Um, we're gonna take so, a quick break. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, I was just gonna say to to speak to what you were talking about as far as perspective goes um so are you guys strictly convinced that it's a flesh and blood creature just a an animal basically a hominid um or are you open to uh the maybe the possibility that the reason we haven't found any remains is that maybe it's uh more of a supernatural type creature yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, for me personally, Shane here, uh, one hundred percent that it's a it's a physical entity. I mean, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a duck, and that's the way I look at Sasquatch. I mean, I I I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. It eats roadkill. Okay, um, it, the stuff we're working on with these nests, it, you know, possibly related to Sasquatch, it makes nests. Um, you know, eats food, hunts ungulates, uh, leaves hair behind, leaves footprints. It's a terrestrial 100% for me. Uh, it, you know, I don't, I've never in all my years in the woods and I've, I spent a lot of time in the woods. Mm, I've not seen anything paranormal related. Not that there's not an element out there of that, but I don't think uh, at this point in time, I don't see any correlation or relationship with Sasquatch. It Sasquatch seems very uh, just like another entity, another uh, animal or whatever you want to call it in the woods, just that much smarter than what we're used to dealing with. Yeah, uh, for for me, I uh, follow the uh, the the flesh and blood path myself. I'm collecting physical evidence. That means that there's a physical source uh, that's creating this evidence. Um, I don't discount people that take other thoughts. Um, I just say I have to do my way of research the way that I feel comfortable with. Other people have other thoughts. And I don't want to discount what other people have uh, as far as thoughts about maybe they have some um, unexplainable capabilities. Um, it's just not for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so, yeah, fair. you know, it's a personal, personal thing, just like for them, it's a personal thing, but I don't want to throw cold water on somebody else's research. I'll just explain mine. Yeah. Very fair. Yeah. And I mean, I don't mind throwing cold water on that research. Um, it's not <laughs> that I uh, want to offend people, but I feel like in every in every sort of subject that's close to this, you know, even UFOs are. There's a lot of parallels to the study of UFOs that that there are to Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Wild Men, uh, and that is that. For a long time, a long period, UFOs have been unacknowledged by the mainstream. And we all know, or at least I think you guys know, uh, this year has been pretty landmark year in terms of disclosure because the Pentagon videos were officiated by the Pentagon. So they, they basically said, yep, those came from our military aircraft and they're not of a known earthly arsenal. Yeah. Uh, so they're not, yeah. they're not from our arsenal. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. That's 
groundbreaking in terms of admitting that UFOs are real. Um, and Bigfoot, you know, like uh, David Ellis was saying, have been talked about for thousands of years by thousands and thousands of different people. And, you know, in this documentary, I'm trying to prove thousands of different uh, peoples around the world, um, different cultures that all have their different names for the same thing that they seem to be seeing, uh, you know, with variations, of course, obviously the Homo florensis, maybe an orang, orang pandek, and then you've got uh, the Yeti of the Himalayas, which has like a, its own morphology that uh, people say is, has a, a divergent big toe, kind of like a gorilla. Um, so, you know, when we look at a Sasquatch foot, um, Bill Munn's, uh, or, or rather uh, Dr. Meldrum's paper on the pathology of the foot pathology of Sasquatch or Bigfoot and how this has to be a real creature because its pathology um, shows anatomy that is different from a human being's foot. It has mid-tarsal a mid-tarsal break. It has prehension uh, in its foot, but it also has a, a flexing point way back in the middle of the foot that we just do not have that. We, we uh, when we walk, we sway our legs and we bend at our toes to take another step. These bend their feet, the Sasquatch or, or Bigfoot, way back at the mid of their foot and they're, they're, the front of their foot stays down as they take a step forward. So this is different. And right. um, I'm hoping, you know, with more and more research that comes out from, say, the guys at the Olympic Project, where they're finding nests, hair samples at the nests. Um, then you've got these men in China that have found Yaren nests. And we talked about that in my documentary. And they also you know, without even knowing each other, without Shane and David Ellis and, and uh, Derek Randalls and his whole crew knowing anything about the uh, studies being done on the Yaren, they both have this remarkable resemblance. They both have the same foot pathology, mid-tarsal break. They both have hair being found at the nests that uh, get examined and come back as an unknown primate. And then you have these people that witness these things, you know, mm -hmm. and say mm -hmm. they have common attributes, eight to seven feet tall. Some people in North America say they've seen towering giants that are like 10 feet tall. Uh, and it's remarkable that, you know, if we, if we were to sentence somebody in court, uh, to a, a life sentence or to death, we would need way less evidence than all of this that we're talking about. <laughs> and, and we could convict somebody. And right, right. meanwhile, we have all of this evidence, all of this history and all of this logic that, that seems scientific to me that proves that there's an, a, a flesh being uh, out there in the woods and yet it's just not acknowledged by mainstream science. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, back to your question, Josh, um, you know, is there a more paranormal aspect? Um, I think 
people get confused sometimes, even in the UFO um, study, they they start to mix in sort of a spiritual um, thing to to the UFO subject as well. I've seen it time and time again. People become like cult leaders and start uh, almost creating a spirituality out of UFOlogy. Yeah, yeah, you see that a lot in the contactee lore. Yeah. And, you know, you even have, I mean, I don't even want to name names because these guys have lawsuits right now uh, in the public. Um, But you have these. I think we all know who you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, guys that are featured on um, lots of YouTube podcasts and stuff that talk about secret space. And and, uh, they created companies for health and spirituality and teachings and stuff out of ufology which really should have nothing to do with that and you know you had bill bill merrill back in the late 70s and 1980s starting to come out and talking about uh, a dimensional sasquatch a portal jumping bigfoot sasquatch and uh, i featured him uh, a segment of him in my first documentary the unwanted sasquatch um and it's nonsense excuse me it's nonsense in my opinion because it's just another person that's coming to a subject that has so much validity and so much attention to it and that person or these people are going look at me look at me i psychically talk to the sasquatch i know where it's from it's saying protect you know uh, the earth and all that stuff. And then you've got the same thing happening in the UFOlogy field. So um, it's an attention seeker sort of power grab in my opinion. Right. So um, the reason that I asked that actually was uh, because sometimes I do just wonder if like, okay, maybe if the reason that we never find any remains is that, that they're being taken away or their remains aren't here on the surface of our planet. Um, I'm not like super into that theory. I just wonder about it. You know what I mean? Um, Because I do know that there, there was at least through like the 60s, 70s and 80s, kind of a correlation with um, UFO sightings and Bigfoot sightings. Um, So I've just always been kind of curious about that. Um, Just like that aspect of it, you know, Um, do you think that uh, possibly, they have like enough culture that they would have ritual burial, or do you think that uh, they just uh, basically crawl into a deep dark space to be alone to die? Well, I think you're onto something, Josh, um, with the ritual burial. Um, mm-hmm. From my experience of uh, in uh, in the last fifteen years there is no question that they work together. Um, There is rarely one. You may only have an interaction with one, but there will be clues that more are present. So that tells me that they are working as a community, as a group. So they, it's not just one that you run into. It's, there's a bunch. And so if something happens to one, yes, I believe that, um, they have witnessed what we do with our dead that we and it's a sacred process to them. So that is my theory. I have nothing to base that on other than just uh, 
you know, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, which anybody can do, which is what you did. <laughs> sure. Like it makes sense to me, even though we haven't seen any uh, like cultural artifacts that they would have some sort of at least protoculture, but uh, that, I mean, not having the artifacts, just like not having the body doesn't mean that they don't exist. So right. um, I would, I would assume they're a little bit more advanced than say a great ape or, you know, another type of gorilla. Um, they're probably a little more intelligent, a little more thinking. It seems like they have more, at least, at least basic communication um, skills, like maybe even like a basic type of language, or at least understanding meanings of, of an understandably, sorry, a meaningfully, a meaningful way to them to communicate. Correct. Like, I would, I understand. would agree. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if we should go for a commercial break, but I definitely could expand on that uh, last point you made, Josh. Um, you know, just given all of the data that we have, and uh, David Ellis can speak to this as well. I mean, I'd say he's a foremost expert on it, um, but we do have a very large record of communication from these creatures uh, in North America, for sure. Um, that being recordings at encounters in the forest. And, you know, people can hearken back to the recording made from the Sierra Sounds. And the Sierra Sounds shows all the hallmarks of communication that we see in many of the recordings that David Ellis has compiled and has collected uh, from across North America. So what are those uh, communications? Wood knocks, rock clacks, whoops, mm -hmm. barks, mm -hmm. uh, whoops, howls, and and you know, people may hear me say barks, whoops, uh, howls, and go, okay, well, hello, it's probably a, a canine, right? It's a dog, but the difference being that when we look at uh, people that have investigated the Sierra sounds, um, you know, there's uh, linguists that have identified that there seems to be uh, a ability to reach a certain octave range that would require a larger lung capacity, meaning uh, larger than a human. And that would fit the description of something like a giant uh, ape-like being similar to Sasquatch, right? Um, it, based on accounts. And who's to say that it hasn't evolved to have a large vocal range? It has a larger lung capacity because of its uh, body size and such, and its mouth and the way that it's forming sounds uh, would be uh, of a greater vocal range is what I'm saying. So you listen to the Sierra sounds, you listen to the sounds that David Ellis has collected from, you know, places even out in North Carolina and Washington state where he is. Uh, and he's recorded firsthand some of these interactions, which, you know, I featured in the documentary, uh, his first recorded interaction was involved, you know, using, rock clacks, wood knocks, uh, all of these things that we would 
associate with an intelligence, uh, with, with a being that has um, the ability to communicate. Um, and then if I digress a bit uh, and relate this to what we know of primates, uh, we know of Konzi, that's a bonobo that um, has uh, memorized and um, been able to communicate over 500 different uh, words and symbols and can create sentences and communicate with us. Um, it can cook for itself and put out fires. And um, so we know a bonobo can do that. We know that chimps have learned sign language. And back in the 70s, there was a study of uh, one chimp that grew up with uh, a couple uh, humans. And when it was doing sign language, it uh, revealed that it understood death could be um, a great sleep that you do not come back from. It's an eternal sleep. And so these are all signs of cognition, signs of uh, intelligence in primates. And if we're to assume that um, these hominids that are possibly living in scarce numbers uh, across the world in deep wilderness, if they're also intelligent, they are employing their intelligence to communicate with us in very primitive ways. Um, exemplary through David Ellis's work in, in the things that he's recorded and other Sasquatch and Bigfoot researchers out there. Yeah, actually. And I'd like to, we'd like to get in that a little bit. We, we do have to take a quick commercial break and then uh, we can kind of come back and, and uh, I'd like to touch bases with David, your work, and then the Olympic project and what you and Shane kind of are heading up where that's going. And then Darcy again with you, um, with your production, what your other projects are in the future. Uh, but stand by, we'll take a quick break, and folks, we will be back. Follow Strange Uncles down the rabbit hole of the wild and bizarre as they uncover history that shouldn't be talked about, topics that don't fit into the norm, and conspiracies that sometimes run amok. Find our website at mystrangeuncles.com, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Strange Uncles. Or check out our YouTube channel, Strange Uncles Podcast, where we're adding new content every week. Open the gates. All right, and we're back. Um, I wanted to touch bases a little bit with not only David, your work, but just the Olympic Project together with you and Shane and what you're doing. Uh, I, I personally found it kind of fascinating watching the documentary, David, when you the sounds that you've collected, and then you literally take that spectral audiograph and you compare that to other animals and you compare that to, you know, and again, something you said in the documentary and, and like you'd expand on it a bit is, you know, we all hear different things, right? We all kind of interpret sounds, but putting it up on a spectrum format really kind of shows a proof of what that sound truly is, Right. Yeah, what you're referencing is a spectrogram, which gives us um, as a uh, hallmark or a way of looking at sounds visually. Uh, it gives us way much more identification of uh, a physical representation of the sound uh, different than waveform. Waveform are the spikes that go up and down that people typically can associate with the visualization of what sound looks like. Um, but that just gives you the amplification of 
It doesn't tell you where the sound resides. A spectrogram does that. It gives us um, the ability to see um, if it's a weak vocalization, if it's a strong vocalization, um, and it also gives a time, and then it represents in hertz where each uh, important signature is located. So um, I'm looking for what I call voice prints, uh, kind of like a, a fingerprint, if you will, only an audio fingerprint that is a visual representation of the sound. And so I look at um, clips that come from people and I can tell, oh, that's a that's an owl or, oh, that's mm-hmm. a crow mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I can see the sound. I don't have to hear it. I can see what it is. So I can uh, go through audio quite quickly to analyze it to find sounds that are odd that may sound like a dog, but they don't sure don't look like one. So um, and then, as you mentioned, I compare it to um, known animals uh, through the Macaulay Library of Sound. I use a disinterested third party that doesn't have any skin in the game. And they're um, scientists that actually recorded, say, uh, a coyote and uh, it gave it a file name and a number, and I can reference that. So um, if I find a sound that is a little odd, I go through the Macaulay Library of Sound and, and see if I can find something that represents the sound that I uh, find suspicious. If, it, if I don't find a representation, it stays in the suspicious pile until I do. <clears throat> so um, I don't ever say that I have recorded Sasquatch. All I can tell you is that I've got something that is suspicious and that I haven't found a known animal that correlates with this, um, what this vocalization is. Well, and I'll be honest with you, you hear those sounds like you hear the, the whoops and the you know, it's goddamn scary when you hear it on the audio. <laughs> you don't know really where it's coming from. So it's it's just amazing. So, yeah. um, David Shane, what what's next for the Olympic project? Where are we looking as far as that goes? Well, honestly, I mean, we're 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 gung hoing and working on these uh, in, in, uh, in our nest study area. 2016, um, a timber cruiser came across these really odd nests, these ground nests. Um, and they're not stick structures or formations. This is a, a ground nest. If you imagine a giant, giant bird nest on the ground, anywhere from three feet across to eight or nine feet across. Giant ground nest, very reminiscent of gorilla nests. Um, that's what we've been working on. Um, we just came across a brand new one finally after four years of search uh, just this past February, right before this whole pandemic set in, which it really kind of killed a lot of. Uh, scientific endeavors, but you know, to date we have 22 uh, ground nests uh, with oh, wow. two of them, or 23, I should say, with two of them being bush nests. They're built into the the actual huckleberry bush, a couple feet off the ground. So we're really, uh, you know, focused on studying this area. Um, we got uh, we got very lucky uh, with the timber company where we could research this area for five years, and this is our fifth year. We've not been kicked out yet. Oh, nice! And uh, we've had a lot of, a lot of neat experiences in this area, and a lot of the audio—not all of the audio that did get sent to him <laughs> to, to visually <laughs> analyze—but a, a lot of it does come from this area, uh, specific times of year, which happens to coincide with 
when we believe um, a lot of these ground nests are being made. And uh, so, yeah, that's what we've been focusing on. Uh, we had Cliff Berkman out back in February to help us uh, cast some hand impressions, uh, some foot impressions, help us collect hair. And we uh, we're hoping to have Meldrum out, Dr. Meldrum out again, because he's been out to this area to help us collect samples for environmental DNA, dirt samples. And uh, Meldrum, you know, because of COVID, we weren't comfortable back then to have him fly out and, and risk his health. But uh, yeah, that's where we're focused on. We're, we're, you know, we're focused on finding newer nests, older nests, and what's behind building them. Though we're, you know, I think the majority of us are pretty confident as to what's doing this based on the foot impressions and the hair and the hand impressions and some of our uh, personal experiences and also the, the audio, the audio. I mean, it's just a, a gamut of information coming from this area. And if I may throw a, a kind of a cool tidbit in here back in, you know, obviously uh, the Patterson Gimlin film was filmed in October of 1967. Well, mm-hmm. back then there was a guy by the name of Lyle Laverty who was a timber cruiser. Now, uh, this guy was out, you know, surveying uh, the uh, basically the Bluff Lake, Bluff Creek area. Um, he was above Scorpion Creek, and he came across a nest. Nineteen sixty-seven. Oh, he came across a nest, um, a solo nest. I don't, he, I don't think he searched out the whole area, but he came across a nest. Uh, um, and of course, Scorpion Creek is not; it's a stone throw away from Bluff Creek. It feeds into Bluff Creek, and if you look at Patty. Uh, you know, that famous Sasquatch, you know, film, mm-hmm. um, she, you know, had, uh, you know, she looked like she had either given birth or was about to have birth uh, and she had the breasts. And so she's obviously a female. It makes me wonder if, you know, Bob and, and Roger walked upon a, a mother that had just given birth or, or that uh, something of that scenario, because I think these nests are not made all the time. I don't think Sasquatch goes around making nests um, every night, like a, say a gorilla or a, a orangutan or a chimpanzee or any of these. I think they're specifically made for a purpose and in specific areas where you have fresh water, you maybe have uh, salmon or other fish in the creek down below these things. They're always found upon, you know, found up on these, these ridge lines on fingers or, or bluffs and uh, landings. And then you have lots of ungulates and you also have lots of berries in these areas. So I think, it's a birthing thing, and I, I just find it fascinating that uh, I only found this out a couple of years ago that there was a nest found out there in the, the Bluff Lake area. Oh, wow. Huh. So, Shane, do you, uh, do you think that, that they only build the nests if they're going to be somewhere for a minute, like around the, the uh, occasion of giving birth or something where they're going to be pretty stationary for a minute? Well, yeah, so the nests that we're working with, like I said, we've discovered uh, about 23 to date, and they're spread out. Like in one area, on one finger ridge line, there's seven of them. They're different sizes, so it seems like there's different sized individuals using them. And um, so I I think that, you know, uh, I mean, this is a the the timber cruiser that found these, uh, he's been at it for 25, 30 years doing solo timber surveying, you know, for cut lines and for future timbering, he goes out and marks an area and is the first time he's come across something like this. He's been around bears, he's been around cougars, he's been around everything you could imagine in the woods. And he came across these nests and he, he got a little weirded out, never seemed like it. So I, I, so it tells me that, okay, this is a rare, a rare thing. And uh, 
so with Sasquatch, I think it's just that it's, you know, if Sasquatch is anything like an orangutan or another, you know, especially orangutans, I believe they're closer uh, in behavior uh, for a lot of reasons. And we don't have time to go into that, but you know, uh, orangutans give birth every six, every, you know, between every six to eight years. I think uh, Sasquatch with their numbers, it's very similar. They're, they're only giving birth, especially with the number of them out there. You need, you know, you obviously you need a male and a female, but you also need a, a, a male that's ready to go and a female that's ready to go, so to speak. And so these nests, I think, are rare. And I think they're just made um, for a period of time because, once again, these nests that we're looking at, we've been working on, there's no way in Hades that they, they were made for just one night. Derek Randalls and I, now we deconstructed nests. Last year, we reconstructed a nest between two of us. It took us over 40 minutes to make a nest, one of these, and it still wasn't perfect. And we had to travel after we accumulated everything in the general area, we had to travel 25, 30 feet away to grab branches and stuff and bring it back, you know, to formulate this nest. So it tells me it takes not just time, but it takes, you know, know-how, knowing how these nests were made and we still didn't match it. So this isn't like a one night thing. This is maybe a couple of nights, if not more than maybe a week, maybe more. I have no idea but we did find a lot of hair in these nests. So it tells me that something was hunkered down for a while and there was multiple nests in this area. And you have a seasonal salmon Creek where there's so much salmon in this area. You could walk across the salmon and you have the huckleberries and you just have all these different berries, salmon berries, salal berries. And then you have all the ungulates in this area. You have all the, the, you know, raccoons and possums. If that's, you know, if, if Sasquatch is indeed omniferous. So, yeah, to answer your question kind of long, uh, yeah, I do believe Sasquatch does make nests periodically for birthing purposes. I really believe that. So you uh, you guys obviously document these when you find them. Um, are you able to install like a long-term uh, camera trap around the area or do you not have the permissions or the resources or do you just think it's like they're gone so it's kind of pointless? Good question. Oh, great question. So we have done some camera work in this area and nothing, you know, once they're discovered and a lot of time, I mean, other than this year where we came across something actually building a nest <laughs> it was a kind of a crazy encounter with a partner of mine um, for the first time finding a new nest, but actually not even constructed in the making. <laughs> that was kind of freaky, but that sounds in like general, story. <laughs> oh, it's, it's pretty gnarly. But so uh, in general though, we, um, we, we do do a lot of camera work. But these most of these nests are long vacated. Um, when they were discovered, I think they were discovered in the month of May, the original ones. Um, we believe they were made in the month of February, and that kind of proved to be true this year. That's when we found this new one in the making. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we do u- utilize camera work, but uh, whatever was in this area, in the original nest area, was long gone. And uh, we really didn't get much on any of the cameras. And there's, like I said, there's bear in this area. There's cougars and there's uh, we and we got all that in different areas cougar bear elk you name it we got on camera in the nest sites relatively speaking we got next to nothing on cameras for a short amount of time we we, we utilize them and we do have them spread out but I, I i don't think it's pointless i don't think sasquatch is perfect and i do actually do have um from a different area but close uh, pretty dang close i do have something by pedal walk across a camera 
that is uh, pretty fascinating. Uh, stones throw away from the nest site, actually. So I do keep cool. that in, uh, you know, my back pocket. Yeah. Well, you know, good luck with the Olympic projects. You know, I, I hope that this kind of blows up much like Tic Tac did. <laughs> you know, I did. <laughs> hopefully it's the same thing with UFOs it is for uh, Bigfoot because it's been a long time coming for sure. Um, Darcy, what do you have on your future? A- any documentaries, any further research, or you want to collaborate further with David and Shane and other members from Olympic or what's your, what's your roadmap look like? Yeah, sure. So definitely would love to collaborate with these gentlemen. Um, I know the first time they met me, they were like, who the hell is this guy? And I was like, look, I made another documentary. I swear I'm into this <laughs> stuff. And they were like, all right, you're, you're Okay. Uh, so they well, sat Dan, down. Well, you're Canadian. Got to watch hey, there, out for you guys. There you go. <laughs> Just kidding. He knows what he's talking about. I, I caught you. Yeah, um, I caught you saying about a couple times. I I didn't want to yeah. say anything though. Yeah, no worries. Uh, that's my trademark, I guess. But no, um, you know, I'm I'm working on a bunch of different projects, and um, I actually uh, collaborated with Thomas Steenberg uh, this year as well. Thomas Steenberg, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he wrote about uh, three plus books on Bigfoot Sasquatch. Hmm. Um, and uh, you can look him up on Google. He uh, basically, he comes from Alberta, Canada, and has recorded a long history of encounters over there. And he now lives in British Columbia and has been in British Columbia for the longest time now in his later life. Uh, I interviewed him in my first documentary. I'm collaborating with him again on uh, my next documentary, but that's really being backburnered right now because um, my projects in the immediate future that are going to be released in the next, uh, oh, three to four months are um, UFO related. So I've got a documentary on um, crop circles and I've got a documentary on uh, volcanic, uh, related Mm. sightings of UFOs Mm -hmm. that have happened throughout history and been caught on camera and, uh, you know, very, uh, peculiar events. Um, yeah, I've worked with Stephen Bassett in those. Uh, so would love to come back on in the future. Maybe you can chat with, uh, Stephen Bassett about, uh, you know, exopolitics and, and disclosure. That's pretty much his big thing. And, uh, I worked with Jaime Mausan on those documentaries too. You may know of him as a pretty famous Latin American journalist uh, mm-hmm. who's covered extensively the UFO subject. Uh, I know he is a controversial subject too. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's that's what I'm doing. And I uh, would love to work with David and Shane again, um, hear more about what they're doing, but uh yeah, uh, their research is really, really important, I think, as uh, proof to what's going on. Yeah. And one more time, what was the name of your documentary that just came out, just so the listeners can go look that up? And where sure. can they find it? Yeah, okay. Um, the documentary title is Sasquatch Among Wild Men. Mm-hmm. And um, you can find it in demand on a lot of different platforms right now. So uh, that would include Dish Network, uh, Verizon, Fios, uh, Cox, uh, to name a few, I think local cable. 
And then um, Amazon Prime, where you guys founded iTunes, mm-hmm. uh, Google Play, and uh, that would be uh, another few there. So, yeah. yeah, always looking for feedback. If anybody wants to uh, take a look at it, uh, reach out to me uh, and and want to check out some of my older film projects. My website is www.occultjourneys.com. And... Um, you can find me on Facebook by the same name, Darcy Weir or Instagram. Uh, happy to uh, meet anybody that's interested in these subjects. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was a great documentary. Uh, I can't wait for more. I know that I've got uh, a couple episodes of Beyond the Spectrum in the queue. Um, and then, of course, you know, David and Shane, the Olympic Project, anything else you guys are doing. It, it's it's truly a unique time in the 40 field. Really excited for where it's going, you know, whether it's Bigfoot or UFOs. Um, I just hope to God we get past what we're getting past so people can actually focus on it would be nice because I don't think that's happening currently. However, you know, with that being said, um, David, Shane, Darcy, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Um, you know, I felt we just kind of tip, really touched the tip of the iceberg on everything. And if you guys are willing, we'd love to have you back. Just just knock on our door and let us know. Thank it's you. Been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Shane. Yep, knocking right now. So uh, you just let me know, partner. You just let me know. <laughs> by all means, by all means. Awesome. You guys have a good evening and uh, continue the great work you're all doing because it really is worth worth the time for sure. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Cheers. Guys. Stay safe, guys. Yep. You, you as well. Eyes closed. Just the other day. Tried hard. I turned and walked away. Great, great interview, personally, I thought, from all of them. And I I didn't – I hope we didn't blind – I don't want to come out like an asshole and go, hey, look, guys, you know, what about this? What about – let's call the elephant in the room. But the reality is those are arguments we hear, and we make those legitimately amongst ourselves. How come you don't find this? How come you don't find that? And how they answered those I, I think was very valid. Yeah. Well, I, I think they're valid questions to be asked. And, I mean, if you yeah. can't take those questions, um, then – you know, you have no business you're, you're doing in the wrong it. And field, I think, right? I think, I think all those guys had great answers for those questions and mm-hmm. they were open to those questions because I mean, that's kind of the main, you have to address those kind of first thing when you get into this type of research, Bigfoot yeah. research. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely You do. can't just ignore that. And I mean, it is yep. literally the elephant in the room, you know? Yeah. Right. And um, I, I, I thought they had really, really well thought out answers for that you know you can tell you can tell each of those guys has spent a significant amount of time um really pondering that question absolutely right and and i mean when you're researching these type of topics and like the paranormal high strangers 14 stuff in general like you can't bristle at legitimate or even illegitimate questions about this because none of it's proven it's not like we're saying a explain to me how two plus two does not equal five. Right. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we're saying, well, this is something we've heard or thought about or something that's occurred to us. What do you think about that? And to agree with John and with you, Shane, I think that they answered really well, especially uh, considering that there's some of that's kind of out there even for this area, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, you can't afford to be a butthurt. 
it in the field like this. You really can't because it's not going to give you any validity. It really is. It's going to give you any confirmation for the work that you're doing and the research you're doing, you know? So yeah, they, they came to bat. You know, I, I thought that was awesome. Um, they answered all my questions. I really do say that. I think we kind of touch the tip of the iceberg a bit when it mm-hmm. comes to, um, you know, you look at a scientific approach, you look at the sounds, you look at the, the evidence that they have, and what they've done. Uh, I, I would just love to pick, uh, especially Shane and um, David's brain a little bit more and the Olympic project and what they've accomplished and, and the other people they've looped into that and the specialists they've reached out to, to be, to be part of that. I mean, that's a man, that's yeah. an undertaking, you know? Well, and the, uh, the audio is kind of a bigger thing, bigger evidence to me than to me uh, too. Cast like uh, plaster casts of tracks and everything because yeah. tracks can be hoaxed and there are people seeking attention for that. I'm not saying all of the tracks are, you know, um, there's may very well be definitive legit tracks that have been uh, molded and everything, but just the audio I feel like is so much harder to hoax and especially, you know, um, yeah, like you have those vocal ranges that humans just can't get to. Yep. You vocal can't ranges think and a bigger lung capacity. Right. Mm-hmm. Vocal ranges and patterns too. Yep. You and know, the spectrogram is is an amazing example, you know, you can oh, see yeah. you can see what that looks like. And so that I think there's a lot of validity in just the audio recordings and I'm glad they brought up the Sierra sounds too because uh, mm-hmm. I first heard those on the missing 411 david polites and yeah he has that at the end of it he kind of just sprinkles those in and I, my jaw was on the floor when <laughs> i, I heard yeah that. i was yeah. trying to i was gonna bring those up not realizing that's what that what he was talking about yeah yeah, yeah. um but i mean those have been analyzed i think there was like a uh, a professor over at like university of wyoming or something analyzed those mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. if anybody has not heard the sierra tapes um, oh, they're have, never, they're scary have, as hell. Number one, you have I mean, to listen to boy, that. Oh, I mean, boy. if I was camping in the middle of nowhere oh. where they were and heard those, I would I'd probably be crying and just shaking. I just think, I'm, well, you know what? I mean, honestly, Bigfoot would find me because I'd have a pile of shit in my pants. He would be able to smell me out by the time <laughs> it was all done for sure. I, yeah, that's not that's that's not my camping Hot. trip fun at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, and I got I had one question I forgot to ask them, um, which was. You know, I wanted really to, to see if they're surprised at where accounts are being, where witnesses are saying they see things, where these things are being. You know, you look around the world and, and some of the places that they were, even in the documentary, I'm like, really? Iran? I, you know, they're just, you don't think mm-hmm. about that when you think about Bigfoot in the big picture, you know? Yeah. Well, like to me, worldwide doesn't, <clears throat> like it makes sense. You know what I mean? Especially given the variations of the creatures that are being spotted. It's not Mm -hmm. like they are all reporting Pacific Northwest style Bigfoot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, true. Yeah. And a lot of people think of regions of the world of just as just like the most, uh, talked about part of their location. Like you say, Iran, Iraq, you think the middle East, you think desert, but like they have mountains, they have, like fertile regions, you know what I mean? Sure, it's sure. not just desert. Yeah. So it, it, I think kind of just with our Western mind and our mentality. Western culture, we kind of like don't even, and this sounds bad and I don't mean it to sound bad, but we just like don't even consider that 
Like, that, oh, it makes sense. Sound bad? Yeah. That sounds accurate. No, you 100%. know, it's just like our Western brains, our Western everything. Like, we're like, oh, Bigfoot and Iraq, like Iran. What? Well, and even here in the country, like you know, there's uh, there's a lot of sightings. Well, look in Ohio. You know, there's a lot of sightings in Ohio. There, people are like Ohio, but Ohio has some really dense areas. You know that that uh, people just, just don't think about that because yeah, you don't it's know not the terrain. Plains, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's not a rolling hills. It might be around Columbus because I've been to Ohio, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. I think I think yeah, and I think with Iraq and Iran, like you know, I'm guilty of it. I think of a dust bowl. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Do you, have you yeah. seen pictures? And, of- I mean, I and I I feel so stupid <laughs> and ignorant. Right. Right. If you ever look up pictures of like the city line in Tehran, it looks almost. I've seen it and thought I was looking at a picture of Salt Lake, but like huge before. Mm, that's really. crazy. Like it's in a high mountain valley. Um, like it looks like the the visit Salt Lake pictures that people take, where the mountains are behind the city and it's all like mm. gorgeous and beautiful. maybe that's where Salt yeah. Lake pictures are really taken. We don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to I need to educate myself a little more apparently yeah, yeah. uh cuz exactly. I'm a fucking idiot. Um I'll tell you what, great interview. Um I was a little worried about having three people on at a time, but I think it flowed well. Uh for you listeners out there, you know, hopefully we got all the questions I guess asked and answered that you want, you know, but but you know if there are other ones, you know, we'll stay in contact with them. You know, if you have questions, you can actually write in at strangejungles@gmail.com. Uh, let us know something we forgot or an add-on, and and by all means, we'll reach out. It seems like uh, all of those guys are more than willing to share um, their thoughts and their observations and their research uh, just to get the word out. So I think that's really cool. If you have seen a Bigfoot and a Sasquatch, not talking about your ex. <clears throat> but you know something else out in the woods you can write us at 801-252-69-45 and uh social you guys got social covered yeah uh you can find us on facebook and instagram at strange uncles podcast on twitter at strange uncles um on we have a youtube channel i don't know check it out <laughs> right yeah, that's there <laughs> type thing and uh please rate and review the podcast mm-hmm. on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. It definitely helps move us up in the ranks and uh, makes us more visible. When people are checking out podcasts, they read those reviews and they either listen to that new podcast or just throw it away. And yeah. if it doesn't have any reviews, more than likely they'll just move on. So it's like credit history. No reviews is worse than bad <laughs> reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. I know that's what I do when I find my podcast. I'm like, Oh boy, these guys really don't know what they're doing. So we don't also know what we're friends, doing either. Let them know you're weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's all we want. So this will post after Thanksgiving. Um, hopefully all you guys had a good, safe holiday and, uh, you know, hopefully you have a good, safe Christmas as you roll in. We've got plenty more lined up. We are actually booked out. Uh, what boys in the end of December, right? Yeah, I think so. We've got a busy, busy yeah, schedule. We got a busy schedule. And it's looking good. There's a couple guests at the end of the year that I, I'm excited to to get in here. Yes, but we'll, yes, we'll save that for. Yep, we're, we're looking good, and we're doing research on our side as well. So we're going to sprinkle everything about on the holiday season, and um, hopefully everything's good, safe. Uh, you guys, I wish you a happy Turkey Day uh, because I'll probably talk to you afterwards. Yeah, I ain't yeah. doing shit. Uh, yeah, well, we nope. kind of are. But <laughs> I'm not even cooking a turkey. No, no. Neither are we. Fucking rebels. I cooked a yeah. turkey Sunday just because. I don't know why. Uh, 
I have a confession. I've always hated the holidays and um, <laughs> would lie about having to work to not have to do anything on the holidays. That, well, well, that's not a confession. Secrets out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, right. I mean, I don't think my family anymore? listens to this. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'm like, yes. Oh, <laughs> hope everybody's safe. Shit. Hope everybody's safe and uh, close the gates.